0: Welcome to Nightmares and Grief, a place to explore and celebrate the darkness. Each episode, I'll read stories written by me, Derek Heise. So settle in, check under the bed, and pour a drink for the skeletons in your closet. It's time to start. Night Reruns. Violent knocking jerked Tim out of his thick, liquor-induced sleep. After a moment, he realized the sound was not part of his pounding headache and actually came from the door. Half a bottle of vodka cheap and awful saturated his tongue, and the dark living room glittered with the silver aluminum of PBR empties. Unable to remember anything, from the night he massaged his forehead and groaned. Until the television previewed the morning news. Tim couldn't even guess at the time. Do Twizzlers cause brain tumors? The anchor asked. We bring you an exclusive report this morning. With her red lips pressed into a hard line and her dark hair cut into a professional bob, she looked very grave. The knocking came again, and Tim heaved out of the recliner. The TV cut from commercial to a late-night rerun. Peggy Bundy sliced through the apartment shadows with a sterile electric glow, reflecting in the aluminum beer cans as an eerie, fuzzy distortion. Tim peered through the peephole, wrapping himself in the ratty calico robe and tightening the worn fleece belt. On the other side stood Sarah, diffracted by the peephole lens like a quarter at the bottom of a tall glass. A triangular camisole, shiny and yellow, hung loosely over her torso. The color complemented her bronze skin, and the shape drew the eyes to the glittering navel piercing. Her heels could kill a man. Tim did not remember her leaving the apartment dress so well. Grinning at her cell phone, Sarah tucked a wisp of soft yellow hair behind an ear and bit her lip. Shiny black nails scurried across the screen, and she didn't notice when the hair fell back across her face. Then her whole body lit up. The jade eyes shone, her small nose scrunched, her pink lips curled. Tim adored her beauty. A year before dropping out of college, Tim mustered up the courage to ask her out. Five years later, he proposed. Sarah choked up with tears in their vows when she recounted their first date. The Italian place had mixed up their reservations, so Tim brought her to McDonald's. Walruses were her favorite animal, so he'd stuck a pair of fries in his mouth and pretended to be one. He'd proposed on her birthday with a silver ring tiny zircon her birthstone protruded from the band against the flickering tea lights surrounding the bed the jewel glittered like the gentle descent of snowflakes curled up into his chest sarah asked him how he afforded something so precious and he told her he sold his guitar sarah cried quiet tears and kissed him more than anything else Tim wanted to be a musician. Slapping the deadbolt to the side, Tim wondered how Sarah kept forgetting her keys. The studio audience cheered as the door opened. Hey. Lingering on the phone a little too long, Sarah raised her eyes to meet his, and her smile faltered. Packing him on the cheek, she slipped the phone into her purse like it was contraband. The kiss was a tired routine. Tim always expected one before letting her in after a late night of clubbing. The ritual was funny and cute once. Hey, babe. Sarah slipped past him. She opened the fridge, releasing an expanding trapezoid of light that cut through the darkness and revealed the tan, diamond pattern linoleum. She frowned trying to decide between the quarter-gallon of orange juice and the flat Sam's Club cola. The fridge is barren, the television laughed. Can you go shopping tomorrow? Sure. How was it tonight? His mouth was like unglazed pottery, and he swallowed, trying to get saliva circulating. Good. Sarah closed the refrigerator and opened cabinets in search of something to eat. In truth, the night had been fantastic, perfect. Nothing gave her greater pleasure than music so loud that her blood pumped to the rhythm, the intoxicating intimacy of moving with bodies both strange and familiar. Those feelings had to be tucked under the rug of memory, however. Whenever she swooned over those truths, Tim moped for days she tossed the last bag of popcorn into the microwave and leaned against the counter rifling through her purse for smokes did you look for work today behind her the microwave hummed yeah yeah tim bobbed his head up and down the tv babbled with canned laughter as he shot a quick glance at the empties on the coffee table silhouetted by the microwave's jaundiced light Sarah used her middle finger to massage her temple, her tell that she thought he was lying. I'll, I'll call next week to check. She looked up from the purse. Promise? Hopefully that would shame him to start looking. I already programmed a reminder into my phone. Sarah marked the decline of Tim's ambition at the night he proposed the best guitarist she'd ever known, his ideas matched only by his talent. And best of all, he had that special quality that most artists lacked, strong work ethic. After he hawked his Stratocaster, he still composed on his Mac, but without a guitar, he couldn't play gigs. One problem bled into another, Sarah's car broke down, then Tim's, and then he lost his job. Before long... The idea of buying a new guitar was unrealistic. A year later, Tim stopped writing music altogether. When he drank, Sarah wondered if it was because maybe he'd chosen the wrong love. The popcorn snapped in slow waves behind her, and a microwave droned like a Tibetan monk. An ugly orange filter peeked out of the soft pack of cigarettes and she pulled it out with her teeth. The dilapidated gas station lighter was missing the metal cap and the wheel spun loose. Every time she flicked it, the dull sparks illuminated her face. Tim reached out his hand and Sarah handed him the lighter, rolling her eyes. He rearranged empties to make room for the incense holder. Nothing too strong, please. Sarah drifted out of the kitchen to the photo collage tacked to the wall. The backgrounds were cut out of some, a selfie of Tim and Sarah drinking milkshakes, a few in bed with tousled hair and silly faces. Friends snapped some wide shots in the bowling alley, hiking in the woods, at the coffee table, puzzling over a jigsaw. At the collage's center hung a large, framed picture of Tim serenading Sarah with his guitar. The glossy photo paper flickered with the movement of the television's blue-white light. As she smoked and fidgeted with a cigarette, Sarah inspected her husband. The dark stubble emphasized his strong jaw, and above his pleasant cheekbones peered handsome blue eyes that she'd once swam in for days. Even though he didn't take care of it anymore, the chaotic curls of brown hair matched his personality. As she pulled hard on the cigarette, she listened to the ember crackle and realized that he disgusted her. Tim lit a rose-scented stick of incense from the glass coffee table's open shelf. Waving it back and forth, he placed it into the holder and wondered why he still put up with her smoking. Who went tonight? You know the girls. Was David there? With a huff, Sarah shot out smoke. David isn't a girl. Peggy Bundy said something funny. The audience laughed. Neither Tim nor Sarah said anything for a while. The television cut to commercial. Kneeling between the couch and the coffee table, Tim traced the tight spiral of incense smoke with his eyes as it bifurcated the screen. At last, Sarah lied. No, David wasn't there. Tim didn't believe her. Even after all these years, he knew spring break in Mexico was still fresh on her mind. He'd seen her flipping through photos of it on Facebook when she thought he had gone to bed. If he made his presence known, she hid the phone, pretending to have just finished a text. Though she pretended she was over it, Whenever she looked at the pictures, Sarah still felt David's body pressed tight against hers as they danced in the hole-in-the-wall cantina. Their skin was so sticky from the humid air that it was as if they were of one body. The faint touch of David's musk mingled with the scent of the sea and would always be her favorite smell. In the kitchen, the popcorn sounded like machine gun fire. While Tim thought of an excuse to squeeze Sarah for more information, she slipped off her heels and padded across the faded brown carpet to the couch. Leaning over for an empty beer can, she wondered if she could convince Tim to give her a foot rub. It was unlikely. Sarah flicked Ash into the can. What did you do the rest of the day? When did you change? He leaned close to the incense. Sarah tapped Ash into the can again. I came back around five. I don't remember. You were so drunk, it's no wonder. You said some ugly things and locked the door when I left. Idly, Tim raised one of the cans and shook it back and forth, making sure it was indeed empty. What did you do before? Went to the mall, window shopping with Bridget. Each exploding kernel in the microwave was indistinguishable from the other. Al Bundy was back, and he was pissed. Yeah. Who were you texting before I let you in? Tim leered at Sarah over his shoulder. She had crossed her legs. Her feet stank. To hide her rolling eyes, Sarah raised her face to blow smoke at the ceiling. She put the cigarette back between her lips and let it dangle there. What's the charge, officer? What do you ask? Does this feel like an interrogation? Yes. Funny. I was just asking questions. Fuck you, Tim. You should maybe try it. The television audience laughed and the microwave beeped. Tim coughed against the stream of smoke Sarah blew in his face. When it cleared, she asked, Can you get my popcorn for me, sweetie? Tim slid his tongue across his gums, which were a little moister. Sarah pulled on her cigarette, sucking in her cheeks, and did not break eye contact. Sure. Tim hated Sarah for asking. Sarah hated Tim for obliging. The audience laughed and laughed. In the kitchen, Tim pulled out the hot bag of popcorn but hesitated before he brought it back. He opened the freezer and got out a chilled bottle of vodka. Tim, you're not going to start drinking again, are you? Sarah sighed and massaged her forehead. She dropped her new port into the can. He thundered out of the kitchen, the warm bag in one hand, the cold bottle in the other. Pelted with a flurry of popcorn, Sarah couldn't decide if she was confused or enraged, but before she could spit out, What the fuck, Tim? He had already grabbed a fistful of her hair and yanked her head back. Vodka poured over her face and into her sputtering mouth, smearing and streaking her makeup. Mascara streamed down her face like inky tears. When the bottle was half empty, Tim stopped. Now, maybe you'll tell the truth. The TV was talking about soap. The anchor from before repeated her urgent question about Twizzlers. Sarah overextended her palms and wiped her face. You're a psycho. The bare feet pounded the floor all the way to the kitchen. You're a fucking psycho. Dabbing the vodka off her face with paper towel, Sarah tried to catch her breath. She wanted out. Something like a heavy rock dropped to the pit of Tim's stomach, and he ran a hand over his face. Plopping down on the couch, he stared at his reflection in a PBR can and didn't like it. I'm sorry. (laughs) He was pretty sure he meant at those words Sarah's heart did a backflip she was free no fuck it fuck it Tim I'm getting out of here purse in hand she got her phone and her cigarettes put another Newport in her mouth and speed dialed David Tim tried intercepting Sarah as she made for the door Al Bundy told Peggy Bundy how much he loved her Tim reached out but Sarah whirled around raked her black nails against his cheek The audience purred, admiring the Bundy's love, and Tim stumbled backwards. David picked up the phone and said, Hello? Sarah pushed Tim squarely in the chest and he lost his balance. Peggy's last joke of the show split the audience wide open. Tim landed on the coffee table, crushing it in an explosion of shattering glass, saved from severe injury only because of the layer of beer cans. By the time the credits rolled against the cheering audience and the outro theme, Sarah was on the curb, barefoot, waiting for David to pick her up. Her hands shook. She wasn't sorry, and she was happy she had her cigarettes. She ripped off the Zircon ring and threw it into the road. In the apartment, Tim cut himself on the glass a few times while getting up. He poured the rest of the vodka down the sink, then turned off the television. He opened his laptop and started writing a song. Spores. There's not much worse than people. They let you down and take advantage of you. They expect you to do things that you don't want to do and then never reciprocate. Worse than that, even the best intentioned people get you sick. See, I'm one of those guys who still wears a mask all the time. A real mask, not some cloth bullshit with Cookie Monster on the front. I sanitize it every night. I don't bother with colors or Fancy patterns or anything. It's not like anyone sees them. I haven't even left the apartment since 2020. How could I? How can any of you? Are you stupid? That shit is out there, waiting. Do you want to die? Mm-mm. Nah, not me. I'm not about that. The pandemic gave us an opportunity to rebuild the world, and we couldn't wait to go back. Why? Why would you do that to yourself? Did you really love your office nine to five, making trips to Walmart on the way home, wondering if you should buy generic because you're saving for, what, a Subaru? Fuck that. Fuck that. I was ready to give up on the whole everything a long time ago, and the pandemic gave me an out. I code from home, order everything online, and wear my mask whenever I open the door. Call me crazy. Go ahead eccentricity is a great shield against human interaction and you know to get even weirder i got into plants i started with a a cheap spider plant just before lockdown it's it's like i knew things were going to shit do you remember what it was like Starting Christmas 2019, it was like some weird haze hung over everything. This thick tension, gray like smoked glass. There was a sense that something wasn't right. Do you remember Soleimani? We thought World War III was on the horizon. Anyway. I figured the spider plant wasn't enough, so I got an aloe, then a juvenile rubber tree, and then a string of dolphins that I hung from the ceiling. For symmetry's sake, I wanted another trailing plant for the other side of the window, so I got a silver inch. By the time the murder hornet swept in, I had a full plant stand blocking every window and green foliage nestled into every corner by the ebola outbreak in the congo i had no more space to put plants after the 12th green depot package the delivery guy he tried starting a conversation about them but i didn't answer he might have it i spied him through the peephole as he lingered his face all lined with grief and weariness i waited until he vanished into the elevator and then counted to ten before opening the door. See, whenever I pop out for deliveries, I always wear disposable gloves and arm myself with a can of Lysol. I spray the shit out of the delivery, the floor around it, and then the exterior side of the door, and I followed the same procedure when I ordered the block. See, After filling my apartment with houseplants, I decided it was time to expand my interests. I experimented with tomatoes and peppers and a small hydroponic rig, and it was so successful that I upgraded to a floor-to-ceiling model. It made me wonder if it was possible to grow all the food I needed in my apartment. This brief fantasy flashed before my eyes in which... I didn't need people at all anymore. So I ordered an inoculated block of mushroom substrate. And when it arrived, I did everything right. I waited for the delivery guy to leave. I counted to ten, put on my gloves, and sprayed everything. When the box was inside, I scrubbed it down with Clorox wipes and let it air dry. I already had a space on my coffee table for it. I cut a slit across the cloth patch on the plastic bag and then misted water into the sawdust block inside. It was hard to sleep that night. I dreamt of mushroom burgers. The next morning, snowy white mycelium covered the brown substrate block. It was supposed to take a whole week to form, but I was so excited that I didn't question it. I coated on the couch that day, and I swear, every time I looked at the block, I saw it change. Tiny brown pins sprang up around the mycelium by lunch. By dinner, little fungal stalks had risen out of the block like spears. I'd taken to misting the slit in the bag every hour because the block drained every drop of moisture almost as soon as I sprayed it. It was the thirstiest thing i'd ever seen i i worried about how it would do in the night without my attention so i set a few alarms i woke up every three hours to spray it by three in the morning the bag was full of hundreds of pale green shrooms like closed up doll umbrellas by six They pushed through the slit, stretching it past its limits, and not even an hour later, they opened before my eyes. It's the kind of thing you see on YouTube time lapses, but here it was, right in front of me, the pale green mushroom heads yawning open, like they'd just woken up from a deep sleep. The caps expanded so fast that their bioluminescent yellow gills seemed to breathe. And they were strong, let me tell you. The caps pushed against the plastic bag, first forcing a little tear, but then they were emerging through dozens of gaping holes. I almost wish I had someone to text. I wanted to share. Next morning, I woke up tingling all over like I I had a rash. Deep, harsh coughs tore across my lungs and shredded my throat. The air was swampy and it coated my mouth and throat with what felt like a fine layer of ash. I groped for the mask beside my bed. My apartment was so humid I might as well have been swimming. I stomped to the bedroom door wondering if someone's sink had flooded from a grease clog again. but. Something made me stop. Smoke poured from beneath the door. Yellow light danced in the aqueous tendrils. I flung the door open and shambled into the living room, breathing in a fine gray cloud. The air was like water. A fungal cathedral towered above me. Mycelium strings spilled over the edges and down the legs, burrowing into the carpet. Beneath the caps, glowing gills throbbed with a yellow pulse. They were everywhere sprouting out of the couch ringing around the carpet and exploding from the walls in these cancerous clusters green mushrooms illuminated my whole apartment with a sickly light and they breathed with every pulse of their gills the mushrooms exhaled fine grey mist spores not smoke I'd been inhaling innumerable trillions of fungal spores. I I scratched my leg and this terrible thought dawned on me. I I ran to the bathroom and pulled down my pajama pants. White, web-like tendrils crept across my skin, conquering my body centimeter by centimeter. When I looked closer, I could make out little brown spots. I was pinning. It only took a few hours for the mushrooms to fruit. They started on my thighs and belly, rising out of the flesh like discolored skin tags, but soon they crowded my face until I peered between musky prison bars. It wouldn't be long now. I went to the window, and I opened it. I went to the door, and I opened it, too. The thin, gray, spore cloud oozed out of my apartment and into the world. Then I went back to the couch and snapped a mushroom off my face to inspect it. It's better this way, I guess. Maybe this time. Things will change. Thank you for sharing my nightmares and helping me carry the grief. If you enjoy the show, please rate it 5 stars. If you'd like to go the extra mile, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com nightmaresandgrief. You'll get exclusive bonuses only available to patrons. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can find more of my work at nightmaresandgrief.com. Thanks again for listening.